everyone, Josh Gilliland here with Jerry O'Brien, and we are here to discuss the premiere of Agent Carter. Jerry, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Josh. Great show. My God, that was so much fun. Just hat tip and applause to the executive producer, the writers, and the actors. Well done. I can't say I've enjoyed another comic book show in as much of this in a long time. And I, I love the flash premiere earlier this fall. This was so much better. It's just great. You know, they, they have in Haley Atwell, a talented actress with movie star looks and glamor that is perfect for the 1940s setting. It has terrific emotional resonance because everybody knows that she's still hurting from losing the love of her life. Steve Rogers, Captain America. It's got great look and feel. Gadgets galore. I mean, you know, what was the name of the lipstick? Lights Out? The Lights Out lipstick? Yeah, yeah. Um, Fantastic. The safe opener watch, the, the typewriter that's actually a modem. Um, great peril with her roommate being killed. The props, the sets, everything had this lived in, used, slightly worn around at the edges look. That was so prevalent right after World War II when, you know, people here on the home front had been making do and, you know, uh, trying to make ends meet as best they can because everything was going into the war effort. So things were a little run down. Uh, the fights, the action, the choreography, everything. Perfect. That and fights are in light. I'm sure some are in low lighting, but better lighting than, say, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with a lot of their fight scenes. The It feels like a spy show. Alias in 1946. That's a great way to say it. I mean, it or like reading one of the old Starenko S.H.I.E.L.D. comics. Yeah. I went with the alias 1946 because she, like Sidney Bristow, uh, you know, is employed as a spy for the SSR, but she's got this double life, uh, just like Sidney Bristow was really spying for the U.S. against SD6 or whatever the, the organization was called, and it creates a lot of conflict and peril and, and just, you know, wears down the main character because they're living a double life and can't get caught. Because, you know, if they get caught, the ramifications are rather severe. It's terrific. I, I absolutely loved it. And I made a, you know, a, a quote on Twitter last night that while they were dealing with the film developing and figuring out, you know, the blonde on the film, that it reminded me a little of No Way Out with uh, Kevin Yes, yes. I was just like, wow, I this feels familiar. And God bless him for doing it. That was just absolutely fun. So let's let's geek out. So let's. What did you really enjoy about it? And any uh, Easter eggs that you spotted? I think I enjoyed everything. It, it really was a well-rounded, fun adventure with a lot of mystery and excitement. And again, Haley Atwell was great in Captain America: The First Avenger. She's terrific in this. She has that 1940s glamour look down pat. She's a terrific actress. 
She's got great range. You know, we were just talking before we started uh, the podcast about how great her American accent is when she's going undercover. She's a natural at this. So, you know, the sky is the limit for her. She, she's going on to, to much bigger and better things after, you know, she finishes her appearances in various Marvel films. She's going to play a slightly older version of Peggy Carter in Ant-Man coming out this spring. Uh, in terms of the Easter eggs, um, well, uh, the scientist in the, the Russian scientist Anton Vanko, I think his name was, who is the father of the character that Mickey Rourke plays in Iron Man Two. Um, we talked about some of the companies, like the the cab company that she uses. Uh, it's the same cab company that in the, the Captain America film he takes the door of the cab and uses it as a shield. Um, and the law firm that her prospective landlord works for, uh, Goodman, Lieber, Kurtzman, and Holloway, is the same law firm that Jennifer Walters, the She-Hulk, works for, I guess, in comics from the 1980s on. And it's named after a number of Marvel Comics uh, businessmen, Stanley, uh, Martin Goodman, the publisher, Stanley's uh, cousin-in-law, uh, Larry Lieber, who is Stanley's brother, um, Howard Kurtzman, and I forget who Holloway is, but these are names that go way back when. Just a lot of good stuff like that. The Vita Ray detector from Captain America, uh, all the little stuff, the gadgets in and around the, uh, the, the Proto-Shield headquarters at SSR. It's just a great show. It is. I, I agree with everything you said. One of the things I really liked is they could tie her um, sense of emotional loss to Steve Rogers. And I thought they did that very well, but she was not dependent upon Steve Rogers for her existence and her personality. And the way that they depict her as being a very strong individual and a strong character in her own right. And just sitting at a, at the uh, deli counter or diner counter listening to the Captain America radio show. Great touch, by the way. Oh, yeah, with the hapless nurse who keeps getting in need of rescue from Nazis. Betty Carver. Yeah, just just sitting there taking it. (laughs) I was like, rock on. Can you Uh, change that channel, please? It's just like, okay, you go, girl. You you put straight that, put that right. It's just love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, little things of justice. You know, the guy who was the other pig uh, at the diner. And hey, when Peggy Carter tells you to tip well, you tip well. That was awesome. Just like fantastic. Uh, loved all of it. I mean, the colors, everything. Uh, I also noticed uh, Roxon, which has been a lot in the recent Thor. Uh, also, it's appeared in, in the Iron Man. Iron Man. Yep. Leviathan there was a character named Leviathan introduced in the late eighties, early nineties, Nick Fury agents of shield uh, comics where he was a very larger than life terrorist hired to do bad things and broke out of the vault and did all kinds of bad stuff. So kind of wasn't, wasn't there also a Leviathan storyline in the comics where Leviathan were the former Hydra agents who had worked for the Nazis who then went to work for the Soviet Union? I am not sure on that. I would need to check. I, you, you probably are right. 
Um, I'm just, I'm going with what I remember, but uh, you're probably right. Um, and I, there might have been another Leviathan storyline in one of the later uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. comics as well. So just a lot of fun. Uh, I also like the way they worked in the Captain America st uh, stage uh, music from the War Bonds program into the radio show. Yeah, the radio show was a really nice touch. You had the, this this group of radio performers who, of course, are, you know, overacting in, to the nth degree, particularly, you know, the helpless female version of, of Peggy Carter, Betty Carver. Um, but that whole shtick, which is taken from the Adventures of Superman radio show that was on in the 40s, is just so well done, and it just helps to grind her down and put more and more pressure on the Peggy Carter character. It, it really is great stuff. And make you root for her. Yeah, and, and as we were saying before, one of the things I like about this is you have a great, strong, resilient female character in Peggy Carter, and you have the the SSR agents around her, Dooley and his henchmen, who are, for the most part, except for Sousa, horribly chauvinistic and who see her as nothing more than a glorified secretary, you know, get us coffee, that kind of thing. But they don't make them a one-note kind of character. The the shield, or rather the SSR agents, even though they're horribly and hopelessly chauvinistic, they're still pretty good at what they do for the most part. And throughout the two so shows that were on last night, they're really only one step behind Peggy Carter at any stage of the game. And they're very close at a couple of points to uncovering her role in this, which adds to the peril. Indeed it does. And so, yeah, they're very conflicted because there's a lot of, you guys are schmucks and need sensitivity training and get with the program type feeling to it. You know, don't act that way. But then there's, you can see hints of PTSD and all of them who are World War II veterans. So that's, it's an interesting... They're not unredeemable, which I think is something to to be remembered. That yeah, none of what the things that they're doing, with the exception of one of them, is acceptable. But that doesn't mean that they're not redeemable. They're not one-dimensional. There's a lot more to play with there. There's a, there's room for those characters to grow, and not necessarily, you know, to the extent that they're going to give up their chauvinism. You know, it, it really was, in fact, there are those who would say that there are still a lot of men out there who are chauvinistic, who, who have never gotten used to the idea of women in the workplace. I mean, I, I'm 56. I grew up when women were first getting into the workplace. They've always been there from my perspective. I'm quite comfortable with it because it's always been there. They've always been there. But these guys, I don't necessarily think you want to see them turn over a new leaf and become champions of women's liberation because that wouldn't seem authentic that's not who these guys are no and yeah for the creatures of the time i mean my grandfather was in charge of b17 production at nighttime at burbank so he ran the swing shift and he had his stories about man you know managing that and working with uh, all the Rosie the Riveters and, and what they, you know, in, in the war effort. And I, I grew up with my mother being a paramedic. So I'm, I was used to, you know, a, you know, growing up around a woman who did wear combat boots, who, whose career was 
you know, high risk. So for me, it's something I think is normal, but there are those who are, uh, you know, it doesn't take much to look at some of the, the evilness of Gamergate to see that there's, there's no shortage of vile human beings still in existence. That's right. But on to more pleasant things, because this show was just so damn fun. Uh, again, I, I saw legal issues out of the gate with you know, the carrot and stick with the prisoner, beating the prisoner. We've never, that's never been okay. <laughs> so that, that was, you know, a significant civil rights violation on, on torture. There was that one scene when they showed up at a location and identified themselves and the employee asked if they had a warrant. That didn't ring true to me because my sense is that, and you tell me better, um, the idea of warrants for searches immediately after World War II, it just didn't seem authentic that they would, that those decisions would have been handed down at that point. I mean, the Fourth Amendment's always applied, and so, I mean, personally, I do think they would have asked for it. I mean, like, this is post-prohibition, so, I mean, like, those fights would have happened, you know, in the 30s as well, but it's, it's, it is different. It is different. I mean, there was a different level of trust in uh, the government and in law enforcement than uh, present day, and also you don't have the 50s, 60s, and 70s uh, bodies of case law from the Supreme Court. Certainly no Miranda rights. And, and in fact, one of the uh, the characters, Dooley, joked with the fellow they were interviewing when he asked, why should I trust you guys? And he says, because we're law enforcement. And he said it without any sense of irony, which I thought was was really nicely done. Yeah, yeah it wasn't it wasn't a threat. It was a statement of fact. Well, we're we're the good guys. Yeah. I thought the the physical carrot and stick on the table might have been a bit on the nose, but it worked out well, especially when they joked about what might have happened if he'd still use the carrot on the guy. Yeah, yeah. If he had left the carrot, it's like, ugh. Uh, it, it worked. And again, it is a comic book shell, and it's a spy. But a really good one. It's, you know, it wasn't campy. It was fun. Uh, and, and the detail, my God, the detail. So what else did you take away from it? Well, like I said, one of the best uh comments I can give you about the show is that my wife who, although she likes the Marvel movies and is generally a fan these days of in popular culture of, of uh, science fiction and, and, and comic book related um, shows as we were just about to finish watching it, I picked up the remote control and she said, stop. She said, don't erase this. I'd like to watch this again. I know that was a pretty nice credit for them uh, for, for the great job they did. And, and I'll watch it again, too, and I'm really looking forward to the next episode because Dum Dum Dugan and the Howling Commandos will be there. I plan to watch it again myself just to take it in because there's so much there, and it is, it's so rich. And, I mean, I loved the her playing health inspector and threatening that she had a court order. Notice they, did, they weren't smart enough to ask for the court order, but a lot of fast-talking kicking the tires and, you know, just throwing down and being in charge. They, they did it so well. 
It seemed seamless. It it, it really was a, a, a well-oiled machine. The parts came together really, really, really well. They had a good cast, good crew. The, uh, the, the two women who are the showrunners, Tara Butters and Michelle Fazekas, who've worked for Joss Whedon in the past, they've written for Buffy, they, they've written for the show Reaper and a bunch of other shows, um, are really talented gals. I think they may have worked on Rizzoli and Isles also. So, you know, they've got a, a depth and breadth of experience that a lot of first-time showrunners don't have. Uh, they did a really nice job. The only real nitpicking complaints I have about the show are what I would call logistical ones. Now, I'm a pretty much a lifelong Brooklyn resident, so when the character says to another character, you know, we have to go to this Bensonhurst location, Bensonhurst is a, a neighborhood in the southwest section of Brooklyn. And again, Brooklyn is two and a half million people. When they showed the address it being something like 210 30th Street, that's about five miles and five or six neighborhoods away from where Bensonhurst is. And you get the sense that if you're going to set a show in 1940s New York, some authentic neighborhood representations and some authentic details, which don't cost them anything, would help take it to another level. You know, I joked with you earlier about how when they were looking for apartments for Peggy Carter towards the end of the show, it would have been fun if one of them said, hey, here's an apartment for rent, you know, on Yancey Street. Oh, no, you don't want to go near Yancey Street, which, of course, is a throwback to Ben Grimm and the Fantastic Four from the early 1960s, the Yancey Street gang. Um, the only other thing I can think of is that, you know, Peggy Carter, she obviously was in, was in America now and then during World War II, particularly during the Super Soldier Project, because we saw her at uh, the headquarters of the scientists who, who created Captain America. But she's a Brit. She's working with Jarvis, another Brit. Uh, you know, that lack or a, a, a lack of familiarity with some American slang from the era might be a great way to orient the audience to what some of that slang means. Because if they're going to be authentic with some of the lingo, some of it we won't understand either. Uh, and it would be nice to know what it means, where it comes from, and, and she could be our entree into that. Jarvis is another great point. Uh, Jarvis being the original butler for Tony Stark in the comics and uh, this is the father, uh, the father's butler in this show. A real nice touch. Howard, Howard Carter, rather Howard Stark, uh, Tony's father. Uh, great job. Dominic Cooper, you know, playing the role again that he played in the movies. Uh, echoing, I think you said, um, Howard Hughes in his testimony before Congress. Just a great, great job. And especially since he may be playing both sides against the middle. And we will see, and it's more things for us to talk about, but yeah, they, they just did such a great job and I hope it continues. I think it will, because this is when you have a limited series, when you have eight episodes, you know, you're going to have a middle, you're going to have a beginning, a middle and an end. You just absolutely have to have the game plan. And because you get one shot to knock it out of the, out of the park. And I and think they, they did that last night. Mm-hmm. And so let's see what Leviathan is. Let's see if we get more wonder weapons from Stark's imagination, which uh, you know, I, I will play philosopher here from, for just a tad. 
But Howard, I mean, it's not that he wasn't taking responsibility for the things that he made and then locked in a vault so one, no one could get to him. But I couldn't help but thinking back to Aristophanes' The Clouds, which was political criticism of Socrates, because that focused on someone going to Socrates and wanting to learn how to exploit and be bad and do all these horrible things. And Socrates going like, sure, no problem, and taught him and then not, didn't take responsibility for it. With Howard going yeah, like, yeah, I had all these ideas and I decided to make them. Maybe it would have been a better idea to have realized this would be a great weapon and I'm not going to do it. That would, that would be my one criticism of Stark. But builders and creators tend to build what they, what they can envision. That's, yeah. Who knows that he didn't create this weapon because he had a feeling that someone else might create something that would necessitate their destruction using this weapon. You know, this is the, uh, the beginning of the cold war. Uh, at this point in time, I think we're still the only nation with the atomic bomb, uh-huh. but you know, once the genie's out of the bottle, there's no way to contain it. So I don't really fault the Howard Stark character for creating these things. Uh, they have, in an ideal world, they have practical uses that could be very helpful to mankind. You know, uh, weapons are, and te- technology is neutral. Depends on how you use it. Oh, yeah, like, like a hammer. It can be used for good or evil. So This is true. And exactly. Well, my friend, uh, we've talked a lot about uh, the show. I look forward to where it's going. And, you know, you had your nitpick. My one nitpick was the FBI should have been doing the investigation over the SSR, but then we wouldn't have a show. So we'll let that one slide. Uh, But so much fun. A great amount of fun, great cast, great acting, great everything. It's as good as a comic book show can, can be and better. And, I just can't wait to see where they take the series and they've got to bring it back for another season next year. I just love it. It's terrific. Couldn't agree more. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in and we'll see you all very soon.